Good morning, everyone. Uh, Kurt Sovine, I attend Eagle Church, and it's a privilege to be with you today. Would like to just uh, start our time with some prayer and invite Jesus to join us as we listen to Paul and his wife talk about people going and making disciples of all nations and planting churches and doing things that are going to expand the gospel. That takes a special crowd to say yes to that. And I believe it's people who have found hope in Jesus and nowhere else who are going to respond. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So Jesus, would you show us the hope that is ours in you? That we would be a people who understand that we're not here for ourselves. That life isn't about accumulation. It's not about finding some sense of happiness day after day after day. It's not about chasing things that are going to fade away. It's not about pursuing my ambitions. Our hope, Jesus, is in you. And this world that is crumbling around us needs that hope. So may we be a people of great hope, true hope. May we be a people who understand that what we know and what we carry inside of us and the relationship that we walk in with you is desperately needed, not just on, in the far corners of the world, but right here in our community. Jesus, may we be a people who are not distracted by and caught up in all sorts of smaller things so that we could be a people who say yes when you come and you tap us on the shoulder and you tell us to make disciples. You tell us to reach the lost. You tell us to invest our lives in other people's lives so that they too might know you. I pray, Jesus, that we'd be a people postured to say yes because our hope is found in you and you alone. God, would you be merciful to us in these next several minutes that you're, by your spirit you would speak to our hearts, that we'd have the privilege of knowing that we have been with you, that we would leave this place ready to go share a hope, a living hope with the world out there. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So they say that history repeats itself, and I I'm afraid I found a painful example of that in the Advent story. If you've been reading our church's Advent guide, you know that Advent is all about looking at Jesus coming to the earth as a man, his incarnation, God with us, Emmanuel. It's also all about looking forward to Jesus' second coming when he will return as a victorious king. Last week, Pastor Eric preached about Jesus being the way and the truth that leads to the life. He came as the image of the invisible God to prepare a way for us to be in relationship with the Father through him. Now, Christmas is also the time of year when we spend uh, times, particularly in church, reflecting on how the people responded to Jesus when he showed up. We even occasionally sing a song about Jesus not having a place to be born. And so he ends up in a manger. We think about Jesus' birth into a Jewish world. And the surprising rejection of the Messiah by the very people he came to save. We've already read a bit of this this morning. But I want to go on in John chapter 1. 
verse 9 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his very own, but his own did not receive him. John tells us that Jesus' very own people did not recognize him, nor did they receive him. And it makes us ask the question, why? What happened that the Jewish people, the ones who had the Old Testament prophecies, the ones who could see the Old Testament prophecy fulfillments taking place right in front of them, the ones who had the angel messages and the forerunner John the Baptist, the ones who had the star in the sky, what happened that the Jewish people not only missed Jesus, but they proactively rejected Jesus? There are a lot of places you could turn to find some of these answers. I would invite you probably just to flip back one page in your Bible to the end of Luke. Chapter 24, Jesus has died on the cross. He's been buried in the grave. He's been raised from the dead. And now he's walking on a road and he bumps into two guys who are having a discussion. Luke 24, verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth? They replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. This Jesus was a special man. This Jesus was the one that we had hoped in. We hoped he would be the one who would redeem Israel, but he didn't. Instead, he died. So we're going home. Jesus, it turns out, was not who we thought he was, and he doesn't look like he's going to become who we thought he would become, and so we're going to go home to do my life without him. Now, the hope was that Jesus would deliver Israel out of Roman control, which amongst other things probably meant things like removing the unfair taxation of the Romans against the Jewish people, restoring the Jewish temple to the center of everything. Stopping the Roman leaders from their oppressive control. Delivering the golden age of peace and probably taking some Jewish folks and placing them in places of prominence and power in the land. And Jesus Christ did none of that. Matter of fact, he told the people, you need to pay those taxes to Rome. And you need to submit to your leaders. And you need to prepare yourself for persecution and trials. In fact, for the people who would receive Jesus, for the people who would choose to follow him, their personal lives were actually going to get really hard. They were going to be marked men and women, like John the Baptist, who ended up beheaded, or Peter in the courtyard, who was targeted. They were not welcomed in many places. They had to serve and give. And amongst other things, they had to be honest. And they had to love their enemies. 
They had to face persecution and death for their allegiance to Jesus. The math of personal benefit did not work out the way the Jews thought it should. And so they reject Jesus as a failed Messiah. He did not improve their lives like they thought that he would. So they reject the very one sent by the Father to save them. Jesus did not satisfy their hope in the Messiah. So Jesus got rejected. I'm not sure that the folks, like the two guys on the road to Emmaus, I'm not sure these folks ever stopped to ask, do we have hope right? Like, do we actually understand what we should hope for? They evaluated Jesus through the lens they created, and Jesus failed to measure up to their hopes. It wasn't that Jesus couldn't or didn't bring hope, right? His coming to the earth is the most amazing thing imaginable. If you read through all of the stories of the history of world religion, you see nothing like this story of God becoming flesh, taking on humanity so that he could die in our place in a sacrificial way and become our savior. Jesus was the fulfillment of the great Abrahamic covenantal promises. He was the fulfillment of the Mosaic law. He was the fulfillment of the promise that David, King David, would have somebody in his family line reigning on the throne forever. Jesus is the most amazing gift imaginable. His salvation fixed the eternally, infinitely broken chasm caused by our sin. Yet people of the day, most people of the day, rejected him. He didn't give them hope in the areas of their lives as they defined hope. And so he got reshaped and then he got rejected. And I wonder if the Jews ever stopped to realize that Jesus' first coming makes very little sense without Jesus' second coming in mind. That a whole bunch of the things that the Jewish people were hoping for, Jesus is actually going to bring. He's actually going to accomplish. He's going to bring peace. He's going to bring justice. Do we know that God never promised to do all the things the Jewish people wanted to have happen? And so blaming God or rejecting God for what God never promised to do makes no sense either. And friends, I think this is where history may be repeating itself. Many of us may be doing the exact same thing the Jewish people did at Jesus' first coming. We have fashioned a hope list. And we gave it to Jesus according to our desires. And Jesus didn't measure up. And then we compared our story to other people's story. Thank you, Facebook, for that. And Jesus didn't measure up for them either. And our conclusion is the same as the Jews. We conclude the problem is probably Jesus. And so I'm going to reject him. Now, Most of you have not fully or completely rejected Jesus, or you would not be sitting in church on a Sunday morning. Instead, what we often see in the church is this attempt with great frustration to try to shape Jesus into what we want now. We attempt with great frustration to live in this perpetual place where we're constantly holding on to this sliver of hope that maybe tomorrow is the day that Jesus does everything that I want Jesus to do. 
I don't know about you guys, but my reality is that I find myself in this place of saying, okay, maybe tomorrow he answers the prayer. Maybe tomorrow he does that thing that I want him to do. And we live in this perpetual place of disappointment. Jesus almost never does the very thing that I ask him to do when I ask him to do it. He never promised to make our lives all better. He never promised that all of our requests get answered. He never said that we would get the government we want and the job we want and the house we want and the health we want. He never said that he would do good things quickly, let alone in your timing. Yet how many Christians... Our family members, our friends. How many of them have walked away from Jesus, rejecting him over a failed hope that should have never been on the table in the first place? How many Christians, therefore, have no hope to share with the world around them? Because our hope is in the wrong things. The Jews didn't reject Jesus because he accomplished the very things that he came to accomplish. They rejected Jesus because he didn't do for them what they thought he should do for them. See, the hope of this season is actually really strong. Jesus did everything he said he would do. Jesus did everything the Father sent him to accomplish. The hope of this season is strong and powerful and it's eternal. The hope of this season is that God made a way. The hope of this season for us on this side of the cross is that the baby survives life. And he grows up and he becomes a man so that he can die in our place as our sacrifice on a brutal cross so that he can make a way for us to be with the Father now and for eternity. And it is so sad that so many people would settle for far less. Had the Roman taxes been removed and a Jewish leader reigned over the Roman Empire, life would have seemed better maybe for a few years. You've read history. Somebody would have come along and killed that individual and then somebody else, and here we go, all over again. But so many people will settle for that. A day of peace. A day of financial gain. A day without pain. And we would at best fashion a God who satisfies our stomachs and the desires of our flesh, Scripture tells us. We would at best make a golden calf to worship. Think about this. Hundreds of thousands of Israelite people in the desert, and the best that they can do is create a cow out of metal to worship. Here is your God. We would at best improve a few months or years of life. And the enemy of our souls would not only have us be content with such, but indeed would cause us to shake our fists at God when he does not deliver such temporary blessings that we hope for. So today I'm going to ask us to reevaluate our hope. To go back and ask those questions. Do we have hope, right? Are we placing our hope in the right spot? And are we hoping for the right things? Because I'm confident to tell you the problem is not, never has been, and never will be a problem with Jesus and the hope that Jesus brings into the world. As old as the Garden of Eden, the trick of the enemy is to convince us that we define hope and we define what and how Jesus should treat us. 
And the hard reality is Jesus rarely ever meets our descriptions as we think he should. Let me give you a bit of the list of what people say Jesus should be about. Jesus makes all pain go away in a short amount of time. Like five minutes. And I've been the dad in the hospital at midnight by myself in the dark, crying out to the Lord hour after hour after hour, will you please make the pain that my little girl's experiencing go away? God, why are you not doing that? Jesus should never let anyone die prematurely. Or for some people, he should never let anyone die ever. I think there's a country music song like that. Jesus doesn't let bad people get away with bad stuff. Jesus should answer all of our prayers instantly. Jesus should never let harm come to little children. Jesus should give us all the money we need and more, especially if we faithfully give to the church. Jesus would never let the church be a place of hurt and pain. Jesus would stop all injustice. Jesus would end war and hunger and racism. Jesus would make holidays enjoyable. Now, keep in mind, Jesus' first coming makes little sense without Jesus' second coming. He's actually going to take care of all of that, but not yet. Most of us could go down through the list and conclude, Jesus is not doing a good job at doing what we want Jesus to do. And so some of us have already put Jesus on the sideline or in a box. We've relegated Jesus to the places on the margins of our life. And you may have some hope in Jesus that he will do something for you when you die, but you don't live in a hopeful relationship with him today. It's part of the reasons why we're not very good at making disciples of other people. We're not holding on to a hope in a daily relationship with Jesus that we can then go and share with somebody else. Some of us don't think that Jesus deserves the kind of love or interaction that that would bring about. And if we're honest, some of us want Jesus to hear how disappointed and angry and dissatisfied we are in him. And we look a lot like the first century Jews who, though we are his own, we do not recognize him or receive him. And friends, we end up rejecting the only one who can bring light and life into our realities. We reject the way and the truth, and therefore we reject the life. Can we say together today, no more, Satan? No more are you going to have your way in our lives, fooling us into thinking that Jesus is the object of our pain and our hopelessness, that Jesus is not doing what he promised, that Jesus could fix it all, and since he doesn't, we'll look for hope elsewhere. Friends, there's nowhere else to look, and you need go nowhere else other than Jesus. So let's unpack hope a bit and see if we can't embrace the hope that Jesus actually does provide for us. I want to go back to John chapter 1 again, and I want to read a good chunk of the first part of this chapter. This is John's birth narrative, if you will. This is the closest thing we have to the gospel of John telling us about Jesus and his coming to the earth. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. 
In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus brought life and relationship with the Father into our world. Jesus came to make sure that you and I, and our children, and our neighbors, and even our enemies could enter into a relationship with our Creator and our Heavenly Father. That was not possible before Jesus. It's likely that we do not spend enough time considering what it means that we are sinners eternally lost and separated from God when was the last time you went through the mental exercise? And it is brutal. If you've never done this, you need to do this. You sat for a while pondering eternity. If you have not forced your mind and your heart to go there in a while, you need to do that. Find a quiet place and ponder eternity. left to our own devices to manage life in an incredibly difficult world and then to face a certain death alone followed by judgment and condemnation. That's us. If we understand this reality that without Christ we are enemies with God, then when Jesus shows up and promises, I have made a way for you to be in relationship with the Father, our hope goes infinitely higher. And our pains and our complaints and our whining toward God pale. We now have light and life. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who gives a rip about paying taxes to the Romans in that moment? Jesus promised us life abundantly. He promised life with the Father. He promises that he and the Father will come and they will make their home in your heart. He promises that he is the resurrection and the life, that just as he was raised from the dead, so too we will be raised from the dead to spend eternity with the Father. Our hope is in forgiveness of our sins through the death of Jesus and the relationship restoration that follows between us and our Creator. Our hope is in eternal life stored up for us in heaven. Our hope is in the presence of Jesus in our lives right now. Our hope is that we do not walk through any part of this life alone. Our hope is that Jesus is the light and the darkness is no match for him. There is darkness, but it will not overcome him. Christians, brothers and sisters, we cannot be defeated. The outcome of the game will never change. The Father will never be threatened. He has no rivals. This is our hope. I can't promise my lost neighbors that they'll be forever rich or forever healthy or forever safe. I can't assure them that God will do whatever they ask him to do. 
I can't assure them that they won't be hated or mistreated. Friends, I can't even assure them that they'll enjoy church. But I can assure them that the infinite God of the universe loves them and created them for himself and has made a way possible for them to walk in relationship with the Father through the finished work of that baby who came to the earth, grew up, became a man, and died in their place. I can't promise them Santa Claus, but Jesus is infinitely more, more than we could ever fathom. I want to say something to the young people for a minute. Maybe this is for the older folks as well, but for the young people, do not settle for a God that you can fashion. Do not settle for a God that is created in your image or in the image of your peers. I have been struck by how fast society is changing these days. How quickly things go from it was this to it's this to it's that. You want a silly illustration? Every sock that I have ever owned in my life has been in and out of style in the last six months. Imagine if our God changed as quickly as we do. Do not settle for a God shaped in your image. You do not want a God whom you can control. We offer a God who never shifts, never changes, and has no rivals. We offer a hope in God that will never run out and never be stopped. And yet, how many of us would settle for lesser hope and lesser things? Which means, frankly, right now, we're a bit disappointed. In reality, our hope has been in stuff and in relationships that will run out. Those relationships that maybe create the bedrock of your life, they will end at some point. The stuff that we hold hope in, it will run out. And we live in fear and anxiety of the day when the jar is empty. And it consumes us. And then it ruins us. First time I got to preach, Pastor Eric introduced me as a guy who enjoys hunting. And I'm new to the area, but I finally found some ground that I can go hang out on. It's attached to thousands of acres of woods. And so I went deep in the woods one day. And I got up in the tree and I'm sitting there enjoying my surroundings only to realize I'm not where I thought I was. And I don't know how to get back to my vehicle. Now, smart people get down in the daylight and find their car. I didn't. I stayed up there. I actually got the little dot on my Google map and I sent it to my wife just so that somebody knew kind of where I was at. So I get down, I'm in the middle of the woods, it is dark as can be, and I start walking, and I've got two expendable things that I'm hoping in. One is my flashlight that I forgot to even check before I went to make sure, and it's already dim and dying, like flickering type dying, like unscrew it, put the, you know, you've done that before maybe. And my cell phone, which is almost dead. It's pitch black, I'm walking for about 10 minutes to decide maybe I better see where I'm at. I look at my phone, I'm going the exact opposite direction of where I'm supposed to be and I'm realizing the trail I'm on is not the trail that I thought I was on. I actually stopped to pray 
And I've never done that in the woods before to say, Jesus, I need help. My hope is in two things that are going to run out. And then I'm going to be in trouble. A whole bunch of us are living life like that. We're hoping our money doesn't run out. We're worried about it. Some of you probably had a bad week last week. If your money is invested, it consumes us. And we strive day after day for security in our wealth. We are hoping that our health holds out. And we work frantically to stay healthy. We are hoping that our grades are good enough. That our performance is strong enough. That our retirement account is big enough. That our vitamin list is the right vitamin list. That our security system works that our government is stable enough, and if all else fails, that we have the right insurance policies. That's our hope. We're hoping in all sorts of things that are guaranteed to disappoint us. Now, none of those things are necessarily evil, but they are not the ultimate hope. Abundant life in Christ that leads to eternal life with Christ is the great hope of the world. And Jesus, friends, is eager for us to embrace this. And then to trust him with all the rest of the stuff that the world throws at us. To hold secure to Jesus is the anchor of hope while we ride through the storms of life. Holding on to the hope that the promises are always yes and amen in Christ. Always. Always. So that we don't hope in things that will run out. And we don't hope in things that we control. And we don't hope in things that we dictate about the future because we don't know the future, but we know we will mess it up. We hope in Jesus, the light that will not be overcome and the life that is abundant. And Paul tells us in Colossians that this hope is stored up for us in heaven. It's secure. And he tells us that this hope produces love and faith. That this hope leads us to live a life of peace and joy regardless of circumstances. Which is where this gets really complicated for us as Americans. Particularly those who live in a pretty safe, pretty healthy, pretty wealthy, pretty sheltered Midwest part of the country. Frankly, we have enough money to get by in a bulk of life situations. We have enough money to buy our way out of a whole bunch of pain. We have enough access to numb life's troubles. We have enough distraction to keep us from experiencing much in the way of heartache. And so we just kind of hang on to that. But then after a while, stuff happens. Tragedy strikes. The unthinkable hits your household. Something goes sideways. Maybe it's a child goes sideways. Somebody dies prematurely. Something happens that you realize, I, I'm, I'm out of control. My hope is not working right now. My money can't fix this. My health is failing. My relationships are going away. And our neighbor comes and starts to poke around in our hope, and we realize the cookie is crumbling and we are left in deep despair instead of living hope until, until we encounter him. Go back and read the rest of Luke 24. Until you and I have that moment on the road, we're like, whoa, wait a minute. 
something's going on in here. And it's the moment that Jesus comes and tells you something beautiful. He says, well, you've got to get alone with him and let him speak to you. And Jesus shows up and he says, hey, Kurt, I see you. I'm with you in the dark when no one else is around and the coyotes are between you and your car. I know how to get you out of here. I'm right here. I see you. I love you. I died for you. And I got it. I got it. I've been in a place in the last year and a half where I need that from Jesus. Because all the rest of my answers aren't working. I got it. And we have that moment with Jesus. We have that moment when Jesus, when he takes us to the Father, and, and you realize that you are found eternally. And you realize that your sin has been dealt with eternally. My flesh is so apt to become discontent in the fleeting hopes of this world. And I love when Jesus comes and reminds us, I actually have a hope that will never fail. That cannot run out, cannot be stopped, that no illness can destroy that no unanswered prayer can defeat. It's hope in Jesus. Hope that the greatest problem of sin has been addressed in the greatest of saviors. Hope that we don't define and therefore can't limit. Hope enough for me and my family and my neighbors and the world. This is what we carry in our innermost places. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I love this picture that Jesus takes all of the hopelessness of this flesh and this crumbling world, and he hides us in himself, the anchor of our souls. And if you'll listen, he daily, through his word and through his spirit, whispers his true promises to us. Your sin is dealt with. Your eternity is settled. I hold the keys to death and Hades. The Father and I are going to make our home in your life. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You can now approach the throne of God without fear and trembling. And the enemy death has been defeated. This is the hope that Jesus came to bring into the world. This is what so many rejected in pursuit of a bit of satisfaction and something less. And if we're not careful, this is what we will reject. If like the first century Jews, we say no to Jesus because Jesus didn't do it our way. Instead, will you let Jesus be Lord and welcome his victorious reign in your life? Jesus will never fail to do all that Jesus said he would do. And all that Jesus said he would do is all that we will ever need. You can hold on to that for the rest of your life. Lord Jesus, we want to be people who do not chase after some silly image of a God created by us. Nor do we want the world to tell us what hope should look like or what we should hope for. Especially this time of year, Lord, it's a confusing mess. All around us as people chase and pursue And then they end up empty 
and thirsty. Jesus, may we be a people who put our hope fully in you. A hope that cannot disappoint. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for being the way and the truth who leads to the life. That we get to be people who walk with you and spend eternity with you. That that can be settled for everyone in this room and everyone listening online and everybody that we're going to interact with this week. A great hope. We love you for this, Jesus. Would you please whisper these words into our ears and our hearts day after day that we would be a people found clinging to you and not to all sorts of lesser things. We pray this in your holy name, amen.